I prepared a teaching, and uh, I hope you're ready, because we're just, we're going to go right into the Bible. Uh, in the next few minutes, I hope to be able to uh, cover three important points about why this is so important to Christians today, no matter what nation you're from, or what nation you live in, or what nation God has called you to minister. Why is Israel so important? So would you just bow your heads and pray with me for just a moment? Because the most important thing, you know, we really have only one teacher. And the one teacher that we have is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get up here. I'm going to do what I know how to do. I'm going to tell you what, what God has shown us. Okay? I know you're, that you're listening and your hearts are open to the Lord. But what we need to pray for now is revelation. Pray and ask God, God, oh, please, Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see in the spirit. Let me hear the word of God. And, 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 but let me see in the spirit. Op open the windows. Open the doors of your kingdom to me today. So that this is truth that will in fact set me free to participate in what you're doing in our day. So bow with your heads with me in just a second and let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your perfect will. You never make mistakes. You always do what is right. We don't always understand what you do, but you are always right. And you have brought us here together for your purposes. We submit these minutes to you. I ask, Lord, that your spirit will minister to every man, every woman in this house. And that you will give us revelation. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to perceive in the spirit and receive in the spirit what you are saying to your church today. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Okay, first of all, why is Israel important? Well, I think you need to understand when we look at Israel, we're looking at a historically unprecedented event in our time. Never in the course of human history has there ever been a nation that rose up, had its golden age, was attacked and destroyed by its enemies and scattered, and then wandered the world continent by continent, nation by nation, for 2,000 years and then returned, okay? I mean, that sequence of events has never happened in the history of the world until today. And it happened to one nation, and that nation is called Israel. And you know, the remarkable thing is that it happened in our time. History is filled with examples of nations rising up and being attacked and scattered and destroyed by their enemies, and then they become literally history. One nation after that happened, wandered the world from continent to continent, nation to nation, and then, after nearly 2,000 years, returned to start again. Now, the fact that it's Israel really awakens us to an amazing fact, and that is that dozens of times in our Bible, God predicts that it is he who is going to do this. And here's where you really need the revelation. Whenever God does something really important, he will speak about it in his inspired words. And then when he does that very action, you have an alignment with God's prophetic purposes. God's word in scripture, God's actions in our world, when these come together in alignment, there we have the beginning of a prophetic event. But in order to appreciate that, to be able to enter into that, you and I need revelation. Sometimes I, I, I compare this to the difference between going into a museum and looking at beautiful pictures hanging on a wall or entering a garden. 
You know, if you look at a beautiful picture, there may be lots of information in that picture. It may be powerful in, in, in the sense of what it tells you and, it can, and can move you emotionally. But at the end of the day, you turn around and you walk away from that picture and it remains hanging on the wall. A garden, on the other hand, is something that you have to be into. You have to enter that garden. You have to participate with that garden in order to begin to appreciate its beauty. You, you go into the garden, and as you interact with the garden, then you begin to realize, wow, this is really beautiful. Wow, this is really having an effect on my, on my heart, on my emotions, and upon my spirit, okay? That's the difference between just information and revelation. Now, when God does something in this world that aligns with his written purposes in Scripture, you and I need revelation. I think the greatest example of this is when Jesus himself walked this earth. He was the greatest event of his day, but he spoke to thousands of people in his land. And the people he spoke to, most of them sat closer to him than most of you are sitting to me. And that day, they didn't have a visiting Bible teacher speaking to them. They had the Son of God. So imagine this, sitting in a small room, you're listening to this man speak about the scriptures, but in fact, it's Jesus, the Son of God. So you would have thought that anyone who had been in that meeting, anyone who sat and actually looked at him and heard his voice and was, and was a student of him speaking the scriptures, you would have thought, oh, well, they all must have believed. How could they not have believed? He was the most important thing that God was doing in their day. And yet the truth is, most of them walked away unconvinced. Okay, that's how important revelation is. When God does something that aligns with his words in scripture, you know, the, the people that follow Jesus that began to believe this man is different. This man is the Messiah. This man is more than a man. This man is in fact the son of God. The, the way they approached it is they watched him. They saw him. They saw him perform miracles. They listened to his words. But you know, Israel had had other miracle workers. Israel had had other great teachers of the scriptures. But after a while, they began to realize this man is fulfilling the scriptures because the scriptures dozens and dozens of times had predicted that when God sent his Messiah, he would do these things. Okay, this was that alignment. And then when that alignment began to happen, they began to realize that he was fulfilling the scriptures that were in the inspired word of God. Then by revelation, they began to enter in. You may remember there was a particular incident between Jesus and one of his disciples, a man named Simon. He said to Simon and the others, who do you say that I am? And Simon said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you remember what Jesus said in reply to him? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, you didn't figure this out. This didn't come by studying. Someone else didn't tell you this. This has been revealed to you. Okay, and by that revelation, then his disciples began to participate with Jesus. You see, they, they entered in. This has happened to many of you, most of you sitting in this room. You know, before you were born again, people may have told you about Jesus. You may have read about Jesus. You may have been exposed to all kinds of religious experiences that had something about Jesus in them, but it all changed the day, the moment you had revelation, right? 
Okay, up until the point you have revelation, okay, you're reading these stories about someone far away and long ago, someone important, some great, something, something beautiful perhaps, but long ago and far away. But when revelation happens, you read about the Sermon on the Mount, you're sitting on the grass in front of him. He's not talking to them. Now he's talking to you, okay? That's the difference between information and revelation. That's the way we have to approach the words of God and the events of God, what God does in our day. Now, I promised you I would tell you about Israel. That was all introduction, okay? <laughs> because now I want to take you to some of the scriptures that speak about Israel. I want to try, as your teacher this afternoon, try to bring you into alignment, okay? And of course, we're praying that the Holy Spirit will give you revelation. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. This is the first point. Why is Israel important to Christians? Because Israel is the fulfillment of many of God's promises in the Bible. And when I say many, I mean dozens and dozens. Not one, not two, not three, four or five. It's dozens of times God goes on record in the scriptures and says, this is important to me. I've promised them this land. It's an everlasting promise throughout all of their generations. But... I may scatter them among the nations, but even if I scatter them, I will never forget the people of Israel. I will bring them back to the land that I promised their fathers. Again and again, in the scriptures, God goes on record. So let's take a look at one occasion. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. All right, these are just two verses, verse 22 and 23. But God says a number of things. One, he's speaking directly to Israel. He's saying, Israel, get ready. I'm going to do something to you. The whole world is going to see this. Two, he says, and Israel, from the start, I want you to get this clear. It is not for your sake I'm about to do this. Rather, isn't this what it says in the scripture? Rather, God says, it is for my great name's sake. Okay, this is not... Israel, please, please get this clear from the start. It's not because you are superior to any other people on this planet because you're not superior. Listen, Israel, it's not because you deserve this. It's not for your virtuous qualities. God says, Israel, it's not for your sake. I'm going to do this. Rather, it's about my identity, my character, my reputation. It is for my great name that I'm about to do this. And then in verse 23, God goes on to say, and Israel, listen, when I do this great thing with you and the nations see it, you are not going to be the primary beneficiary. Who's going to benefit from this? Verse 23, God says, and then when I do this holy thing with you, Israel, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. You know, in the Hebrew scriptures, we have only one word that we use alternatively for Gentiles and nations. Okay, and the word in the Hebrew is goim. Okay, and it can mean either. Okay, and the translators do with it as they wish, but it always means the other nations. You have Israel, the nation of God, and the nations. 
All right. And God says, I'm going to do something with you, Israel. And then the nations will know that I'm the Lord. Now, if God said these important things to you and you were a part of Israel, at this point, you might be justified in asking him a question. You, you, I think it would be all right at this point to say, okay, Lord, what is this great thing you're going to do with us that's not really primarily about us? It's really about you and your character. And, and what is this thing you're going to do that when you do it with us, it's going to be... It's going to have power to, to change the mind of the nations. The nations will know that you're the Lord. What is this thing you're going to do? I think if we'd asked that question at this point, God might have said, good question. I think he likes questions, actually. Because he answers it in the next verse. Take a look at verse 24. Here's what God says. This is what he's going to do. For I will take you from the nations gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Okay, now that little sentence is so clear, so simple, so straightforward in English or any other language that it's been translated into, I personally think you'd have to be a great theologian to get it wrong. <laughs> Only someone who is really an expert, okay, in the scriptures could would know how to twist the arm of that little verse to make it say what it doesn't say. The rest of us, not being experts like that, would probably have to stick with the plain sense of the words themselves. What do the words say? God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you from among the nations. That's plural. That means all the nations. It's not just Babylon, you know, which is one nation for a short period of time, 70 years. I'm going to take you from among the nations, gather you out of all lands, and bring you into your own land. Now, the amazing thing is, even though Ezekiel was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words thousands of years ago, God chose our day to do this, okay? We're the generation, the first generation of Christians in 2,000 years who get to see this with our eyes. The first generation. The books haven't been written. The textbooks haven't been written. The seminary courses haven't been developed, okay? You've got to hear it from firsthand witnesses like ourselves or come yourself, to the land of Israel and see it with your own eyes. And not only see the land and its beauty and all the, the biblical geography, but find your way into a, a house where Jewish Israelis are worshiping Yeshua, okay? And we use his Hebrew name, are worshiping Yeshua. Okay, where Jewish Israelis are worshiping Yeshua in his own land, in his own language among his own people for the first time in 2,000 years, all right? Come see this for yourself. But when you come, okay, remember to ask God, oh God, give me revelation, all right? Give me revelation so that when I see this, when I hear about it, okay, it's not something that, like a picture that hangs on the wall. It's something that opens up to me like a garden. Because what we found in Israel over these years is that God hid secrets in Israel waiting for the time when the Christians would need this, okay? Waiting for the time when our nations need to know that God is the Lord, okay? Isn't that what he said? He says, I'm going to do this, and then the nations will know.
I am the Lord. Okay, God is communicating through this. I believe one of the most uh, clear things, and I think the most simple thing that he's saying is, I'm the faithful God. He's saying, I'm the God who keeps covenant. I'm the God whose word is true. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away. My words will never pass away. I will keep every promise. God says, not, not even the punctuation marks will fall from the scriptures until all is fulfilled. Everyone knows I made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that they would be a nation before me forever. Even the unbelievers call that land the promised land. Everybody knows I went on record. But then they were scattered for 2,000 years and they were mistreated among the nations. They didn't go out as honored apostles of the truth. They went out as a scorned minority group that was marginalized and pushed from nation to nation. If they, they, they were kept out of the mainstream, there were professions that were not, not allowed for them. They, they were not allowed to hold government office. They were not allowed to own property. They were pushed from nation to nation. And this went on from centuries to century. If they, were, if they resisted, they were killed or imprisoned. And a lot of this, the, 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 the saddest part of this tr historic truth is that so much of this, certainly in Europe, happened at the hands of people who called themselves Christians. And I'll tell you why. I think really the seed of it was really clear. Because for a, more than a thousand years, it was the teaching of the Christian church that the Jewish people had betrayed God. That they had rejected Jesus, their Messiah and King, and therefore God had rejected them. This was standard doctrine. And even today, is what is, if it's not taught in the Bible schools or the seminaries, although in some of them it is, it's the background understanding that most of us who are trained in ministry come out of our schools believing. Okay, yes, they had a covenant with God. We accept that. We can see that in the scriptures. But they were so bad. Okay, they were stiff-necked, they were stubborn, they went into idolatry, and then they rejected Jesus as their Messiah and King. Surely after that, God was within his rights to consider their part of their covenant in default. And that freed him to start again. And that's what he did. He started again with us. I mean, that's basically the Christian understanding, both Catholic and Protestant. I mean, it was standard in the Catholic world for, for a thousand years. But you know what? The Protestant reformers didn't do much to change it. And it produced a poisonous contempt for the Jewish people and even a contempt for the, for the scriptures that, uh, that we now call, we, we call the Old Testament. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, as a, as, a, as a trained minister, when we go to Bible schools or seminary, there's a, there's a distinct emphasis on the New Testament. If you want to get ahead as a preacher, you become a New Testament expert. You learn the Greek. You learn to preach the New Testament. You learn all the words, the words of Jesus, all the words that are in red. Okay. And basically, we look at the Old Testament as a, as a reference work. All right, it's inspired, but it's a reference work. Okay. Certainly, Jesus didn't consider it a reference work. Guess what? Jesus called what we call the Old Testament, he called it the Scriptures. He didn't have a New Testament. Okay, you might say, well, he was the Son of God. He didn't need a New Testament. Okay, he was the living word. Okay, how about the Apostle Paul? How much of the New Testament did he carry? Okay, and when he writes to his spiritual son Timothy and says, all Scripture is inspired by God, 
Okay, for, and it's, it's for correction and reproof, and it's fully capable to produce in you all the characteristics of a man of God. When he says all scripture is inspired, what is he talking about? What is he writing to Timothy? Is he saying, is he writing about Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians? None of those books, none of those letters had been written. Even the gospels as we know them had not been written. When Paul writes all scripture, he's talking about what we call the Old Testament. Okay, so neither Jesus nor Paul even had New Testaments. And guess what? They did okay in ministry. <laughs> all right. We think they're all right. <laughs> they're okay. And their doctrine was okay. All right. All right. So now it's, it's a time of, of restoration. Let me just quickly give you a few more instances, just so it gets, it gets in your mind. I'm going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's jump now to verse 8. Here's what, here's what Jeremiah writes. Behold, these are, he's writing for God, okay? He's writing the words of God. Behold, I'm bringing them from the north country, and I'll gather them from the remote parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and she was in labor with child together. A great company, they will return here. That's Jeremiah 31, 8. Behold, look, open your eyes. I'm bringing them from the north country. Okay, when we came to Israel... And a congregation began in 1991, and we were praying, and we had just had a, a handful of people. All of a sudden, immigration started to happen from the former Soviet Union. The Berlin Wall had, been, had come down, and now the Jews were free to leave. Jews that had been in, in, in the parts of the Soviet Union for centuries and centuries and centuries, all of a sudden, they could come. And they started to come by the tens of thousands a month. Until over a million and a half of them immigrated. 20% of our Jewish population came as immigrants from the former Soviet Union in about 20 years. Any nation that can absorb 20%, one-fifth of its population in such a short time, you know that it's a tremendous dislocation. Half of the people in our congregation were speaking Russian, okay? We thought we had to learn Hebrew, okay? Now we're having to learn Russian. And, and we, but we got out our Bibles and we said, said what, what is God doing? And we saw scriptures like this. Behold, I'm bringing them from the north country. You know, in, in our land, in the land of Israel, if you go directly north from Jerusalem, okay, you pass through Lebanon. You can go, but you can't come back, okay? You pass through Lebanon, okay? And, and, and you get to the, the Black Sea, okay? And across the Black Sea, you're in the Ukraine, all right, a, a big Russian-speaking nation. But if you keep going, you end up in Russia. And guess what? Moscow is almost directly north of Jerusalem. Okay, so, so I mean, the, the accuracy of God's scriptures are so amazing. Behold, look, open your eyes. I'm bringing them from the north country. I'll gather them from the remote parts of the earth. A great company, they will return here. Thousands. I mean, in our port city, we watched them get off the boat. And then we found out that their hearts, among all the Jews, were more open to recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And we began to reach out, and the Messianic groups all over the country began to grow because of this great immigration, a fulfillment of these words. Here's what it says in verse 10, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 10. Hear the words of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off. Okay, I think New York City qualifies as a coastland afar off, okay, from the land of Israel. And declare in the coastlands afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. 
Okay, we're seeing the evidence of God's faithfulness to his words. Okay, God again and again in scripture says that he will do this. He will, he will have Israel stand before him forever. And then we need revelation to understand the significance of this incredible event. Okay, here's another one. Jeremiah 31 verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the light of the sun by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 36, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Last time I checked, the sun still comes up in the morning, right? And the moon is still out there at night. And the stars are where they were last night, okay? Last time I checked, God says, if that should ever change, okay, then you'll know that I will cast off the people of Israel. All right, and I'm going to, I'm going to, time is slipping away, but I'm going to get further. I just want you, this is, you, this is an introduction so that you understand the scope of the significance of this event that we're living in. Two, Israel demonstrates the apostolic power and accuracy that's in our New Testament. You know, there's something that, that there's some things about our Bibles you cannot understand until, until you have this revelation of Israel. Until you realize that this book, this book we call the Bible, the Old and the New Testament together, this one book is what we know for sure about God. All right? There's, I mean, there's a lot of theories, there's all libraries have been written, but one book is inspired by God, and what we know for sure is in that one book. That one book was written by one people. One people. That book comes from one people, the people of Israel. The heroes of that book, Abraham, Moses, the kings, the judges, the prophets, Jesus himself, and his disciples, all come from one people group, the people of Israel. You think that's an accident? All right, when you, get, when you get revelation of this and you enter into this picture, the New Testament will shock you with its accuracy and the power of what is in its words. I want to take you to one example of that. Romans chapter 11. And, I, and in the process, I kind of want to shake you up. I want to show you, look, look the, way it, the way it works in, in, in Christianity and I've, I've been a teacher for almost 40 years in various churches in different parts of the world, okay? I do a lot of traveling and teaching. The way it works is that we're taught by other teachers. We have the scriptures, but we understand the scriptures by the teaching that we receive from other teachers, and we tend to pass this on, okay? I think late, now that I'm a little bit older, I'm beginning to go back to the words of God and realize that's what's true. That's the truth that will set you free. What is actually written on the page, all right? Those words will set you free. Not the words of, of a teacher, although teachers can be anointed and can help you. I, I hope I'm helping you this afternoon, all right? But I, I want to stir you up because these words that I'm going to introduce to you in the New Testament, the church got it wrong for over a thousand years with tragic consequences, okay? Read Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then... God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. Well, wait, wait a minute. This is the heart of the New Testament. 
all right? The most important of Paul's letters, okay? And Paul was anointed by God to write about half of the New Testament. And his most important letter, I think he would say, was my, the letter he wrote to Rome, okay? Right in the middle of this letter, he says, has God rejected his people, Israel? May it never be. The beginning of verse 2 says the same thing. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Okay, so how could the Christian church, could Christianity as a movement have taught for a thousand years? Oh, well, the Jews rejected Jesus, and so God rejected them. Okay, the Jews betrayed our Lord, and so they deserved to be punished. This was Christian doctrine. All right, now you may ask, okay, did Paul know? When Paul wrote these words, and let's agree, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, when we say the word of God is inspired, what we mean is it's not really even as if Paul is writing these words to us. It's as if God is writing these words to us, right? That's what we mean by inspiration, okay? So God is saying, do you think that I rejected Israel? May it never be. May it never be. Okay, and when Paul wrote these words, was he, as, a, as an apostle, was he aware that his own people, the Jewish people, had rejected Jesus as Messiah and King? Did he know that, that his people as a nation had, had cast aside Jesus? Listen, of course he knew. No one knew that better than Paul. Remember, he was a persecutor of the early believers. He objected to their beliefs so much he wanted to imprison them and drag them off to jail and sometimes execution. And then after he became born again and started to be an apostle for Jesus, his former friends tried to assassinate him several times. No one knows better than Paul that his own people, the people of Israel, have rejected Jesus. But still he writes, Inspired by the Spirit, has God rejected them? Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Don't you realize this is the evidence of God's faithfulness? Okay? And it's so important for us as Christians because we, the Jews, are a covenant people. We are a covenant people. And when we sit in our assemblies and we break the bread and we drink the cup, what are we doing? Anywhere in the world that we do this, what are we doing? Okay, we're remembering Jesus and thanking him for what he did for us. But in fact, you renew the covenant. That's what you're saying. You renew the covenant. Okay, that because of his broken body and his shed blood, sinful people like us are allowed to stand in covenant relationship with a holy God. Okay. We have a covenant with God. And in our covenant, he made promises to us. If any of us sin and we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. That's a good promise, okay? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, you will be saved, okay? Promises that are integral to the covenant in which we stand, all right? All right, where's our evidence then? That God will keep his promises to us. How do you know? Can you prove that the God in whom you trust, the God that you've, you've trusted for everything, your life, your family, your, your work, your, your eternal life, can you prove to me that he's worthy of that trust, that he'll keep his promise to you? Where's your evidence? Well, friends, Israel, who said that? That's it. That's where it is. Israel, in spite of all they did, in spite of the fact that they rejected him, God says, I'm not rejecting them. May it never be. 
Never, I'll never, I'll never cast them aside. And that's why he says, I'm going to bring you back. And then the nations will know who they're dealing with. Okay, I'm the faithful God. I'm the faithful God. And I think because it was taught in the Christian world so much and so long, okay, that God had rejected Israel, that's one of the reasons why God says, listen, Israel, it's not about you anymore. Now it's about me, right? Now it's about me. It's about my, even my Christian people think I'm a promise breaker, okay? So I'm going to show everybody, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather you from all the countries after nearly 2,000 years, every continent of the world, hundreds of countries, and I'm going to bring you back to your own land in a historically unprecedented event. Never happened in the history of the world, but I said it would happen, and I'm going to do it. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, boy, is this going to cause trouble. (laughs) This is really going to stir things up, and everybody in the world is going to know that I did this. Everybody. It's not going to be done in a corner. And guess what? We're the generation to see this with our eyes. So we've got to get hold of this revelation. This is such an important event for our time. It opens up God's picture of what he wants to do with every nation. And that's my third point. And I'm going to finish with this. Israel is for us God's model, God's chosen example of what he intends for every nation. Israel is God's model of the kingdom. You know, some people stumble over this whole concept of a chosen people, a chosen nation. Okay, I know I did. Okay, when I first got saved, you know, my my people are from Japan. So I looked in the Bible. You know, I mean, I didn't just look. I searched, okay? And you know, after searching this way and that way and this way and that way, you know, I couldn't find Japan once. Not even once. And actually, I'm still kind of angry about that. But every time I bring it up to the Lord, he seems to say something like, well, Peter, you're just going to have to get over it. Because <laughs> I chose one, one people for all. It's, almost, it's similar. He chose one man for all, right? One man, okay? If you can accept God's choice of Jesus as his example for every human, you can be saved. Okay? And you can start the process of being conformed in his image, okay? He is the way, the truth, and the life. But if you can't accept that choice, okay, how, how are you going to find God's will? And how do you accept that choice? By revelation, okay? In a similar way, God chose one nation. The similarities actually are remarkable. You know, Jesus was chosen, was was begotten by God for a purpose. That is to be the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Okay? It was always God's plan that his own son would suffer, would be humiliated, would be spat upon, would be tortured, would die a criminal's death for you. It's always God's plan. He was chosen Chosen from the foundation of the world to be crushed for us and to rise again. In a similar way, Israel, the nation chosen by God, was chosen to be crushed. Chosen to be crushed. Chosen to be scattered. 
chosen to suffer, chosen to be rejected, chosen to wander. You know, we read those scriptures, maybe maybe we didn't catch it in in Jeremiah 31.10. The scriptures say, he who scattered Israel will gather him. Whoa. You know what that says? God says, the enemies didn't scatter Israel. I did. God takes responsibility. He who scattered Israel. Did he know what he would subject his own people, the people he'd chosen to? Of course he knew. Did he foresee? Of course he foresaw. They were crushed because he saw that they would rise again. Okay? And that's what you're looking at in in modern Israel. Okay, if you get this by revelation, okay, it gets you past the politics. Okay? You cut through the politics. This isn't about politics. Okay, the news media, they're, they're, they're focused on politics. They're trained. The only way they can look at these events, these international events, is political. But it's not a political issue. This is covenantal. Okay? This is the faithfulness of God. It's not about Jewish virtue. It's not about superiority. God says, it's about my great name. And if you get that, then Israel becomes your garden. Okay? And you realize, he did this for me. Me and for my people, knowing that we would, we, would be, we would need this now. And was there ever a time when the nations needed God as king? Okay, and Israel becomes our, our example of the kingdom of God. Very briefly, this is, I think this is something so important for us today. When Israel went into Egypt, you know, under Joseph, okay, they, they, they had this big promise from God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And they were about 70 people when they followed Joseph into Israel. I mean, into, into Egypt. And they were in Egypt 400 years. When they came out of Egypt, they weren't a nation. They, they were a mass of former slaves. 400 years is a long time to be slaves. They, they didn't know how to survive. They had no government. They had no army, no police force, no garbage collectors. They, they, I mean, they were dysfunctional. They were, they were disorganized. They'd never been a nation. They'd never had their own land. And God appeared to them in the desert. And this is what he said. This is Exodus 19.6. You will be to me a kingdom, a priestly kingdom, and a holy nation. Okay. Here's what I want to leave with you. When God says to them, you, you Israel, now it's, it's, it's centuries after I first made those promises to Abraham. Generations have passed. You, but you will be to me a kingdom, and Israel accepted that. What does it mean? If God became king, then Israel became the kingdom of God. Here's where the kingdom of God, the phrase that we use all the time, okay, as Christians, comes out. Let's get it straight. From God's perspective, the kingdom of God is the nation where God is king. All right? Jesus is our personal, individual example of God's will for every man, every woman, every human, past, present, or future. But if you want to know, what is God's will for my people? What is God's will for my nation? There's only one example in the Bible, and it's this example. And they got it wrong so many times, we should learn a lot from them. Okay? They rejected God as king, okay? And they had prophets and, I mean, and civil wars, okay? And, and that's really the story of Israel. But when Jesus came, he came to restore the kingdom of God. He said, said to Israel, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Pray in this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said to his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else are just the details. Okay, if you want God's healing for your nation, and I speak to you as one American born, American raised, but no longer a resident of this country. In fact, we haven't lived in this country for 35, more than 35 years. I come back really as a visitor. If you want God's will for your country, you've got to understand that Israel becomes your picture of the nation that God leads as king. And that's what Jesus means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Basically, when God is king of Israel, which you read about in the stories of the scriptures, he alone brings the tribes together. Okay, remember, there are 12 tribes. They had all kinds of problems. They fought against each other. They warred against each other. They had civil war and all kinds, of, all kinds of national problems. But when God was king, he brought the tribes together. I believe this is a message for our time. It's not a political thing. It's a spiritual, scriptural issue. Will you make Jesus your king? Will you allow him and him alone to bring the tribes together? Then you'll be the head and not the tail. If you, if you trust in other things, if you trust in, in other, other mechanisms, in political mechanisms, political movements, or political parties, that's what Israel did. Read the stories. Make Jesus king today. There's never been a greater time in this country. I lived through the Vietnam War era. We'll tell you the story at 6 o'clock tonight. <laughs> but there's never been a greater time when America as a nation needed to really get serious. Jesus, would you be king here? And would you rule all the people? You're the only one we trust enough, enough to bring us all together. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you that that you moved in our time to bring Israel back as a nation. You we, we in, a, in that sense, are a chosen generation. We're the, the first, first Christians after 2,000 years of Christianity, the first ones to see this with our eyes. We're the first Christians, Lord, who can get on a plane and, and get off after a single flight in the land of Israel, the homeland of the people that you chose so long ago. And not only that, Lord, we can find our way into a Messianic congregation where, where, where Messianic Jews and Arab Christians are worshiping Yeshua together in his own land. Lord, will you open the eyes of our hearts to what this means and, what, and, and the importance of this event for our time? Please, Lord, grant revelation and understanding to the people of God. And help us, Lord, to truly begin to put your kingdom before all. And to not only pray as some type of catechism or some type of recited prayer, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But understand why you taught your disciples to pray that. And why you told them that your kingdom is so important. It's the primary responsibility of every believer. Lord, would you start by being king in our hearts? And would you give us revelation for our time? But we also pray for our land and for our people. Even if you're not from this country, for your own country, for your own people. 
Will you, will you let my people, will you empower my people to make you their king and to trust in you alone? You alone can rule the nations. I pray, Father, that you'll grant us revelation tonight. While, while we're, we're praying, let me ask you this. How many of you would say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to open the eyes of my heart, to understand Israel and my times. So I just want to say a special prayer in closing for you. Raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Okay, so many of you here. Listen, I'm just his servant tonight. Our teacher is the Holy Spirit. And if you ask him, he will give you truth that will set you free. The best thing I can do is invite you to come visit us in Israel. <laughs> okay? You know, I'm going back next week, and, and it'll be really fun to see you come visit, okay? And to, and to see you in that land. But let, let's pray right now. Lord, give me revelation. One thing you can do, is, is lift up your hands like this. You know what? Why don't, why don't we stand? We're going to just finish with this. Why don't you stand? Lift up your hands. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. But to me, it's like a gesture. I'm open, Lord. I'm open. Give, give me. Give me. I'm, here's, here's, you know, when my, my little grandson comes out and he goes, he wants something, he's like this. <laughs> you know, give me, Lord. Give me. Okay? You're opening up. And you know what it is? It's a human signal. Because we're asking God to do a God thing, right? Okay, and it's a human signal. We're saying, okay, I'll, I'll do the human thing. What I can do, I'll stand, I raise my hands, open my heart to you. That's the human thing. But I'm asking you, God, would you do a God thing in me? Would you give me revelation about why Israel is so important for me as a Christian in this land and, and help me to understand what this is all about? Oh, open your hearts. Lord, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, you promised that the word of God would never come back to God without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. Would you grant to my brothers and sisters, because they took this time, they sacrificed this time to come into your house to meet with you, would you give them a gift? Would you give them a gift that only you can give? A gift of truth, a, a gift of clarity, a gift that gets them through the political confusion of our day, that makes things clear. To a, a gift that, that makes it clear in their minds. My citizenship is in heaven. Is in heaven. I belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus is my king. I will never have another king. I will never serve another king. Let him rule me. Let him rule my people. Let him bring the tribes together. The way he did in Israel. Let him bring the tribes together. That we may be the nation that God's called us to be. Please, Lord, give me revelation for what you want to do in my life, in my times. Hide this in my heart, these little seeds of truth, little seeds, but they will put down roots over time, grow up and bear fruit in my life. Some of you 30 times, some of you 60 times, some of you even 100 times. May God protect you and bless you. I say shalom, and we say Bashem Yeshua in the name of Jesus.